Welcome in, everybody, to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for Wednesday, September 23rd. I'm Caroline Gondalas, and it is our first podcast since the Saints played their Monday night football game against the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday. We all know the results of that. Saints fell 34-24 to to the Raiders. A lot of work to put in for the Saints, but it's only week two. Don't get too discouraged yet. Uh, we will be talking about that game with NFL Network's Omar Ruiz later in the pod today. We also have a very special guest on the show today. We have a three-time Grammy-nominated trombonist and singer. He has two degrees from Juilliard. He is also a New Orleans native. It is Jeffrey Miller. We have him on the show today because he will be performing the national anthem for the Saints when they play at home on Sunday night against the Green Bay Packers. So great interview with Jeffrey. As I mentioned, we will go over the Raiders game with NFL Network's Omar Ruiz. And last but certainly not least, we will have Daniel Salerson with a little fantasy football talk, of course, because, because it is Wednesday. Before we get into that fantasy talk, I want to share a little announcement with you all. Good news. Fox Sports New Orleans will be re-airing all of the Saints games of the season on Wednesdays throughout the season. The first game will be tonight, if you're not listening to this on Wednesday. It is Wednesday, September 3rd. So on Wednesdays moving forward, there will be a re-air of the Saints game. So this Wednesday, tonight, it'll be the Raiders game. Um, And then moving forward, it'll be the previous week's game so on and so forth. For more information, you can go to neworleansaints.com, but it is a great way for all of our fans to relive the action all season long on Fox Sports New Orleans. So um, now that you have that information, let's go ahead and get into our first guest, NFL Network's Omar Ruiz. All right, now we welcome on the show Omar Ruiz from NFL Network, who was at the Saints vs. Raiders game earlier this week. First of all, Omar, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It was a long week in Vegas because, you know, we obviously spent a big deal of our coverage leading up to the game with the Raiders' first game in Las Vegas as a Las Vegas Raiders, the opening of Allegiant Stadium and our first look inside. It was actually the first event. That Monday Night Football game was the first event. And, of course, you know, because of COVID-19, fans weren't there. So I felt we felt as a network, you know, we kind of had to show it off and, and introduce fans, take them inside. So we did that leading up to the game. And then, of course, the game you know, came and went on Monday night. So got home yesterday. It was a long week. But as I always say, it's always, you know, better that we're busy in this time of year trying to bring the coverage as best we can to service the fans and, you know, couldn't be happier uh, to do it. But it is nice to be home and be back with my kids here. Yeah, you hear uh, Omar's two daughters in the background there. We're all working from home. We're all making it worse. I love it. <laughs> it's all right. They can make as much noise as they want. Um, so, Omar, what were your overall impressions of the of the stadium? We talked about it a lot at the beginning of the week, but from your perspective, how was the stadium? It was really nice. I mean, I think they did a great job not only encapsulating the history of the Raiders, which is noteworthy in NFL history. It's one of the more iconic franchises that there is with a huge fan base. And they also did a good job capturing what it means to be in Las Vegas. And I thought that that was reflective of the artwork that was there throughout the stadium. You saw Elvis Presley dressed as a Raider in the, in the pads and the uniform. You saw Marilyn Monroe as a Raiderette. And there was all kinds of other nods throughout the stadium to either Las Vegas or to the Raiders history. I think they really did a good job there. And I think once fans are let in, they'll be treated to what it feels like to be in Las Vegas, whether it's all the clubs that look a lot more like Las Vegas Lounge. And I think 
one of the clubs is actually going to be a nightclub. Wow. Uh, so, so that'll, you know, be a cool twist to it. But I think being indoors, much like the Superdome, I think it'll be loud. It'll be passionate. And they, they just did a great job making sure that it was a football first venue. Every sight line, you know, from the different vantage points of the stadiums, looked like they give a great view of the field. And I think the, the fans will really appreciate, you know, seeing every aspect of it. And one of the cooler parts is at one of the ends of the stadium, the windows open up and it looks out into the strip. Wow. So you have that vantage point. So from the location, the architecture, the art, you know, incorporating everything, I think they just did a fantastic job. It's crazy to see everything that's going on with the stadiums now. It's only a matter of time before we have like a complete water park inside of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Well, at SoFi Stadium, you have these cascading plazas and palm trees and everything. It looks like there would be room to put a water park or a water slide in there. And with so many other, uh, you know, different businesses and, and um, uh, restaurants and bars and everything like that, who knows? Maybe that's part of that future there, as much space as they have. Well, you can count me in. Whatever stadium has that, I'll be there. <laughs> Omar, you recover both the teams um, leading up to the game. Obviously, we know the result for the Saints wasn't what they wanted um, with the loss. But before the game, what was your perspective on both teams? Did you have a feeling whether or not, what, you know, which way the game was going to go? I, I felt I leaned. If I, I had to pick, I would have picked New Orleans heading in yeah. just as much faith as I have in Drew Brees and Sean Payton, that explosive offense, even without Michael Thomas. Now, I think we hadn't really seen the Saints offense have to operate without Michael Thomas. And obviously, it showed what a big part he plays there. It also shows, you know, the, the Saints offense, such rhythm and such cohesion that they have that without an offseason, as meticulously detailed as Sean Payton is, as Drew Brees is, to not have that to fine-tune their offense – we might have saw some of that. Now, I know they'll never use that as an excuse, but we might have seen that here barely in week two, not being able to operate at that high level. Uh, for the Raiders, I felt like this was a measuring stick game for them because they won that game in Carolina week one. Uh, they showed a lot of mental toughness, blowing a big lead in the fourth quarter and then coming back to win that game. It was on the road. It was 10 o'clock their body's time. It was hot and humid, you know, something they're not exposed to. As you know, as some of the fans may know, when these teams are on the road, they're just quarantined in the hotel. They're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to have visitors. So they're just in that air-conditioned environment for 48 hours leading into a game. So to be exposed to that hot and humid and win that game, you know, facing the Saints now in week two, I thought it was a big measuring stick game and, and how they responded. Being down big early, I think the Saints came out and looked as dominant as you would expect them to in that matchup. And then for the, for, for the Raiders not to fold um, was impressive in their own right. And, uh, and the game, you know, played out, I think, surprisingly for a lot of people, not only nationally, but I, I would imagine a lot of people in New Orleans as well. Yeah, I was certainly surprised. And, and you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be like a, a rollover game where the Saints could go out there and just do whatever they wanted and the Raiders were going to lay down. Um, but I, I did think the Saints were going to win. Now, immediately after the game or really during the game, we saw fans kind of calling out Drew Brees like, oh, you know, he's not as good as he was, whatever. From a national perspective, what can you say about that? Because we heard Drew in availability say, you know, he feels better than ever. He feels fine. What can you say about Drew Brees and his productivity? I mean, through two weeks. Yeah, it is two weeks. And sort of like I mentioned, I feel that they have made it look so easy over the years. We tend to forget how much work goes into that efficient nature of that offense. Having every player in place, knowing his role, 
and then clicking on all cylinders is something that I think we take for granted for so many years, seeing Sean Payton and Drew Brees do work together. Now, it did look that way in the first quarter, the way they were rolling over that Raiders defensive front. Alvin Kamara, I believe, in that first quarter had several more yards in the first quarter than he did the entire uh, week one game rushing. So it seemed like they were clicking all cylinders there, but obviously it went away. We had talked a lot about Emmanuel Sanders saying leading up to the game that he only felt about 85% comfortable in that offense and and he was hoping to make a leap to maybe 90% after this game and continue to get better. So I think that's maybe a realistic stance that we don't maybe get that truth from players that they are still working themselves out. And then Sanders, if he's not feeling 100% comfortable, he had an early drop there in the sideline early going. And perhaps that does something, making a physical mistake, you know, when you're not already you know, 100% confident, you know, or comfortable where you're supposed to be and the different personnel packages that he talked about, maybe that plays a role and then has a trickle-down effect for the rest of the game. So all of that said, it is week two. I believe they will get to that point. Drew Brees physically, to me, seemed fine. Yeah, he had a couple misses. You know, you kind of got to give the Raiders defense credit for that. Throwing that interception over the middle for a defender that appeared, he didn't see. That's unusual. But again, you know, I'm not one to throw in the towel or or say, you know, Drew Brees doesn't have it anymore. I think they'll figure it out. It just may take a a couple weeks longer than we would expect them to normally. And maybe he'll go, you know, Michael Jordan in the last dance mode of like, all right, now I got a chip on my shoulder and now he's just about to go just blow everyone to pieces. I mean, gosh. Um, But Omar, looking ahead to next week, no easy task for the Saints coming up. They take on the Green Bay Packers. They're 2-0 and um, with wins over the Vikings and Lions. They put up a lot of points in this last these last two games. They lead the league in yards per game right now. Um, what stands out about the Packers' offense the most to you right now? Well, the Packers, they're scary. I mean, right. to me, they really are because I know, I know they similarly feel like they're not clicking on all cylinders. And you have Aaron Rodgers in year two in that Matt LaFleur system. And it stems from the Kyle Shanahan system, and and we heard how complicated that could be. You guys saw it in your division there in the NFC South in year two of Kyle Shanahan, offensive coordinator as Falcons OC, how good Matt Ryan was. He was the MVP. They went to the Super Bowl and obviously were 15 minutes away from winning the dang thing. And I think now Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, I think we'd all agree is a little bit better than Matt Ryan now in year two. As they figure themselves out, yeah, they, 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 they've scored 42 points. They've scored 43 points. And this is for an offense that feels like they're not clicking yet. So, you know, they're a scary out. I think defensively, you know, Mike Pettin has those guys. Year three for him, you know, Matt LaFleur kept Pettin there uh, in place. So it's year three there. So I think they're going to be, you know, as good as they were last year. And then if Aaron Jones, leading the league in rushing right now, can continue his pace, that's going to be a very scary team come December and January, if, not they're, if, if they're not there yet already. Yeah, he's on my fantasy team. So as much as I want him to do well during the other weeks, this week I hope he doesn't do so hot. Um, but, Omar, after seeing the Saints defense last week and, and kind of their lapses last week and knowing what the Packers' offense can do, what are some adjustments that you hope the Saints will make going into that game? Well, I think what the, what the Raiders did was really spread them out. And I think Derek Carr hit 11 different receivers uh, in the past game. So just really finding the holes in the offense, you would hope 
that the Packers don't have that amount of weapons to spread the field the way they did in different personnel coming in and out of the game. And, you know, I think you got to give credit to Darren Waller, you know, for the Raiders who just won so many one-on-one matchups. And I think Devontae Adams, uh, as skilled as he is, as talented as he is, as good as he is, maybe not be, may not be as much the physical matchup Darren Waller was. So I think, you know, I don't think it's time for Saints necessarily to panic or, or change too much of what they do. Uh, they, they obviously extended their streak of not allowing a 100-yard rusher. Um, you know, we talked a lot about that with, you know, Josh Jacobs, you know, aiming for that mark, but the Saints still kind of held him down. Um, so I think, you know, they continue to focus on that run, let the secondary do its thing, and let Demario Davis roam the middle, and, and they'll be okay. I think settle down, and, and um, you know, the, I think the Raiders, you know, you tip your cap to Darren Waller for, you know, like I said, you know, going off the way he did, and you just don't let one person wreck the game the way Devontae Adams did that week one against the Vikings, obviously capable of doing so. But uh, as long as you don't let that get away from him, I think the Saints defense will be okay. I feel like we heard Waller's name every other every other second in that game. It was amazing. But um, the Packers defense is 13th in the league right now and opponent rushing yards per game. Would you like to see a fully healthy Alvin Kamara? Just open up the can a little bit. Oh, no question. I mean, Alvin Kamara is probably my favorite running back to watch. In the NFL, we know what he can do in the past game and what just a super talented weapon he is. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we're mourning the loss of Gale Sayers this morning. And, and, you know, I never saw Gale Sayers play live, you know, as much older than I am, of course. But, um, you know, Alvin Kamara, just so smooth and powerful, kind of reminds you of those old school backs, you know, that dominated the landscape in the 60s and 70s. It's kind of a throwback the way he can run people over, he can run around you, but just does so gracefully. So, yeah, I would love to see them just sort of turn to Alvin and, and kind of let him loose in the, in the running game. I think then that would open up everything up in the past game, whether there's Michael Thomas or not this week, um, you know, would allow that offense to operate a little more efficiently because, you know, as good as Alvin is, as, you know, the multifaceted weapon that he is, I think he's just one of the best running backs in the game as well, just from a pure running standpoint. Looking at the bigger picture for just a second, the NFC South, I mean, I know we're only through two weeks, but it's very clear that the Saints and the uh, Buccaneers seem like they're going to distance themselves from the Falcons and Panthers. Um, obviously, with the Falcons blowing that lead, I have to bring that up again because you know, we're the Saints. <laughs> we're we're going to be petty like that. Um, but do you have a, a thought one way or another, whether it's going to be the Bucks or the Saints, who you think is going to lead the NFC South this year? I, for my money, I would still pick the Saints. You know, I think there's just so much continuity on both sides of the ball. I think, you know, we'll see a lot about how, you know, the Saints adjust, you know, if Michael Thomas doesn't play again, how they adjust from not having them, um, having that experience in week two, how that carries over to week three. Um, but obviously, once they get him back, then, you know, everything can run as seamlessly, hopefully, as it's been in years past. So I think with that, I just think we don't talk enough about the Saints defense. I think it's just, you know, fantastic. Demario Davis has become one of my favorite players on defense to watch, you know, as, as explosive as he is, kind of an airy facet there. You know, one of the bigger Pro Bowl snubs, I thought, last year. And, and it seems like he's playing with, with as much passion and, and motivation as he's ever had. And, and, of course, you know, Cam Jordan. And, and, you know, it's been fun to see Trey Hendrickson develop and kind of get there and, and the Malcolm brothers up front and the Malcolm <laughs> brother in the back. Um, so, yeah, it's a really talented defense that I think it will – shine in its own right at some point so given all of that what we know about the saints what players are still in place i would give them the edge 
over the Buccaneers at this point. Well, Omar, we appreciate your time. Omar Ruiz, of course, from NFL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Omar D. Ruiz. Uh, Thursday Night Football continues this week with the Dolphins versus Jaguars exclusively on NFL Network. So we appreciate your time, Omar. All right. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I always look forward to it. All right. Thanks to Omar for joining us on the show today. Always good to speak to someone from NFL Network. Of course, we heard that Omar was at the game. So looking forward to more of his insight throughout the season. All right, let's get into our very special guests on the show today, three-time Grammy-nominated trombonist and singer, graduate of Juilliard, and anthem performer for the New Orleans Saints this Sunday against the Green Bay Packers, Jeffrey Miller. Jeffrey, we are going to be graced with your presence when you sing the national anthem for the Saints on their Sunday night football game um, against the Green Bay Packers. But I think our fans need to know a little bit more about you because you are from the New Orleans area. We want to, you know, push you into whatever light we can. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background in, in music and how you got started? Sure. I, um, I actually grew up um, singing. I grew up on the West Bank, Algiers. Um, and I grew up singing, uh, I didn't take any lessons or anything, but it was kind of just, you know, mimicking the songs that I heard on the radio and in church and things like that. And the women in my family sing. So that was, uh, most of my life, I'd say to start. And then I picked up drums randomly. My grandparents got me a drum set. Um, and I just taught myself by ear, didn't get lessons for that either. And then, uh, I got to middle school and we had a band director, um, and I originally auditioned for drum set and short, long story short, I didn't make it. I didn't get the chair cause I didn't know the different parts of the drum set uh. and I wasn't as good as I thought I was. So I got put on a snare drum. Didn't really want to do that either. And my music teacher, uh, ran up to me one day, really randomly, Keith Hart, um, at Kip Believe. He, uh, he was like, do you want to play trombone? How about trombone? And I was like, sure, I'll ask my grandmother. Let's see what she says. And she didn't care. Um, so that was that was really the, the start of everything. Um, and I feel like I, I progressed rather quickly. And he sort of took me under his wing and, and um, looked out for me in terms of learning how to play trombone on a higher level. And that just took me, I took that and just ran with it, I guess. It seems like, you know, of course, we see kind of like this later project, um, you know, you, you have two degrees from Juilliard and so you put mm -hmm. a lot of work and time in but yeah. it just seems like it's natural for you and not only playing the trombone but singing like I've seen some of your duets on Instagram and heard some of your songs on Spotify and it just seems like it's natural for you and it seems mm -hmm. like it's a it's a real passion that you have when you started on the tromb trombone you talk about coming from drums did it seem kind of natural um yeah it was weird because they're they're not that related yeah. Um, but I, I don't know what it was. I guess it was, I really can't even explain why it was a natural thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I really can't explain it, but you're just born to do uh, it. Yeah. I guess I'm just going to give it to God and say that he's the reason, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I pretty much it. Jeffrey, you stepped on the stage at the Apollo at 19. I can only imagine what that felt like. Were, did you have any stage fright at all, or was it just kind of one of those things that was natural again? Uh, it was probably one of those things that was natural, especially when the adrenaline kicks in. Yeah. Um, I don't really get too nervous uh, when it's performing, uh, when it's time to perform, um, unless I feel like I'm not prepared for some reason. But 
generally I like to be prepared, so it's I'm usually fine when it comes to stage fright. Um, they may there maybe there are a little nerves, but they usually go away when it's time to go, and um, especially when the adrenaline kicks in. So, um, but that was really fun. Uh, John Batiste was um, a special guest as well, and uh, it was a really good time. Uh, it was with the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. Yeah, you uh, don't. Way back when. You don't get to where you are without being. You're 24. You don't get to where you are without being prepared for situations. Let's just say yeah. that. Uh, let's just call it what Do it that. is. Uh, so you said you you grew up on the West Bank West Bank in Algiers. How mm -hmm. did the New Orleans music scene kind of shape who you are today? Well, I um, like I said, I, I started playing in about. Well, I didn't necessarily say this, but I started playing around fifth grade, uh, ten or eleven years old, and. Uh, my music teacher was fairly well connected in uh, in the jazz scene. I guess he played with Dr. John some, uh, and uh, he sort of looked out in terms of uh, connecting me. And then I basically, well, he didn't connect me uh, directly, I would say. He sort of just, I guess, put me in situations where I'd be heard by certain people, and uh, that sort of led to me um, being heard by Terrence Taplin. He's a trombone player in New Orleans. Uh, he plays a lot with uh, Delphio Marsalis in the Uptown Jazz Orchestra. And uh, basically, um, Terrence heard me play, and he reached out and was like, uh, come to Snug Harbor on Wednesday night. Uh, Delphio and his big band are playing. We're playing. And I was like, okay. And so I rolled through. Uh, I sat in on stage, and uh, Delphio heard me. And he was like, I was about, I was about 14 at the time. Oh, my gosh and maybe 13 um and he was like no i was younger i was like 12 or so um just I was, say you were eight and then we'll just call it yeah right <laughs> uh, might as well um i uh i was actually doing this um this delphio had this uh like up this youth orchestra for the uptown jazz orchestra it was like a youth version of the uptown jazz orchestra where we went to tulane uh on weekends on saturdays and basically learn music from the records. And um, it was a bunch of us, a bunch of kids, um, just learning music together. And um, there was a concert where members from the from the official Uptown Jazz Orchestra came and played with us. And uh, that's where I met Terrence for the first time. And we played together on the stage. And he heard me, and he was like, come to Snug Harbor. He, called, he got my information, and he called me or texted me, one of the two. I was like, come to Snug Harbor on Wednesday nights, come sit in. Um, and he, I guess he basically put the bug in Delphio's ear um, to bring me back every week. And before I knew it, I was playing with them regularly. And I feel like I was an official member of the band at 14. Like I started playing with them every single Wednesday. Like I was on the gig. Um, so that was, that's where I learned a lot, I would say, musically and as a man and everything like that. 14. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. I don't even remember what I was doing at 14. Probably nothing important. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you said, I, I can imagine you've traveled a lot of places. How does the New Orleans music scene compare to other places in the, maybe in the nation or if you've traveled the world? Um, I, there's nothing like New Orleans. There's nothing like New Orleans. Uh, no matter where I go, um, I've been 
to Abu Dhabi and with Winton and you know since it's with Winton you know they treat you like royalty and right. it was really fun it was really cool um but it's, there's nothing like home there's nothing like home at all uh yeah I don't know there's just something special about the city and the the air and the and the energy that is this just doesn't feel like anywhere else yeah. no matter how much time passes you know you gotta love the energy here in New Orleans especially the people yeah, um, yeah. What's your what's your favorite venue to play in if you had to pick one? I would say Snug Harbor. That's like home to me. Wow. Like that stage, the green room, you know. Is yeah. Do you the, like playing the, in Preservation Hall or due to the no AC you're kind of like, okay, no, get out. <laughs> I love Preservation Hall. That's like a close second, especially since I I spent time there as well. Hmm. Um when I was growing up, I was in the Preservation Hall uh junior jazz band. Uh, growing up and it was a similar thing uh, as the the uh, Uptown Jazz Youth Orchestra where we would go to Preservation Hall um, and learn traditional jazz, uh, traditional uh, New Orleans music uh, from members of the of the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Um, wow. So that was really cool as well. I did that, uh, yeah, same age, around like 12 or so and then into high school and it uh, it was really fun. It was, it was, that, that experience was, was also incredible. You've, and, yeah. you've lived an entire lifetime of experiences between the ages of like eight and now at 24. It's crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's, is a, there's a crazier story about Preservation Hall that, um, uh, regarding me and like my ancestors and everything like that, that I recently learned about. Um, well, now you can't share, just tease that and, and not yeah, true, say yeah, it. I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, so I have this ancestor named Papa John Joseph. Uh, he's a bass player. He played at Preservation Hall a lot. Uh, he was almost like the house bass player. There's still a lot that I have to learn about him. Um, but uh, I was uh, I heard about him through Dr. Michael White, who was who came to Juilliard my freshman year, I believe, and gave a presentation on New Orleans music. And uh, he mentioned that Papa John Joseph was um, one of his ancestors. And then I called my grandmother and just asked, like, do I have any people that I'm related to? You know, people like, you know, any anybody in the lineage of New Orleans music that I'm related to? Because I had no idea because nobody in my immediate family plays music. So um, she told me about Papa John Joseph and Plash Johnson and uh, a bunch of other people. Plash Johnson was the guy who played the original Pink Panther theme song on with Harry Mancini. Wow. Um, so he, she told me I was related to him and... Papa John Joseph, like I said, bass player who played at Preservation Hall regularly. Uh, he played with King Oliver and Buddy Bolden and people like that, um, which is crazy to me. Um, and his story is he died uh, after playing a really re rousing rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In. So at Preservation Hall, like he, they played the song, it finished. He was he he died, and it was uh, it's a crazy story because you know I ended up playing, being connected with Preservation Hall, playing with them and uh, having such a connection with them. So it's crazy how history and, you know, the That is incredible. That yeah. is incredible. It's crazy. I, I just still get chills thinking about it. And so I, I got to dig in the in the Pres Hall archives and, and find out as much as I can about him. Wow. Well, no wonder the trombone came naturally. It's in your blood. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. I guess so. Yeah, something. Something's in there. All right, Jeffrey, so let's get into your, your Saints fandom, your Saints love. So you grew up on the West Bank. When were you first introduced to the Saints? Was it just always there? It was always there. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't even remember a time when it wasn't. Um, I wasn't always, I wasn't the biggest sports fan. I wasn't really into sports like that. Right. Um, but whenever I did watch sports games, it was, I would always remember my grandpa just being super hyped up and super energetic, you know, swearing at the TV and, <laughs> you know, you know, being all hyped up and everything like that. Um, as well as the rest of my family, of course. Um, so it was when I did watch Saints games, it was always a good time. Uh, so I'm definitely a, a diehard. Did your sure. family have any like traditions or anything on game day other than screaming at the television? <laughs> uh, my grandma would make, I know, you know, it's a tradition to make red beans on, on Mondays, but for some reason, my grandma would always make red beans on Sundays. Uh, and we would most often have red beans on game nights. Um, and just sit down and watch the game uh, when I did. If I if I did, because I would always be either practicing or, you know, doing homework. I would probably – I remember uh, from time to time watching the game while I do homework um, and being distracted by, you know, my grandpa and <laughs> my aunts and everybody just screaming and <laughs> at the TV and, and all that good stuff. So. Well, I know you're very involved in your music and everything like that, but did you ever have a favorite Saints player, like a jersey that you especially liked, maybe a last name that you liked? <laughs> uh, I never really had a favorite player growing up. Um, it was, I feel like it was always, um, it's cliche, but it was uh, Drew Brees for a minute. Um, and then lately, Alvin Kamara is really doing his thing. Yeah. Um, so I think right now it'll probably be Alvin Kamara. You gotta like his swagger too. Yeah, he just... definitely has swag. I don't <laughs> I don't know him personally, but you know, hopefully soon we'll connect. How well of us how well do we all really know Alvin personally? You know, he's right, just, right. he's mysterious. I mean, <laughs> the city's small, you know. So you never know. You never know. All right, so Jeffrey, you gotta tell me last question before I let you go. How excited are you to play the national anthem um for the Saints on Sunday? I'm really really excited um it was it was a really really extreme honor uh to get that email um i didn't believe it at first i was like okay let me vet this let me see what let me see if this is legit because you know i get a lot of um a lot of spam emails um especially since you know i got a since i got facebook verified and instagram there's been a lot of messages like weird messages right um so i don't uh i tread cautiously when it comes to uh, things like that, but uh, it was legit, and uh, um, I followed through, and uh, it worked out, and they were really, really accommodating, and uh, they were the process went pretty smoothly. I um, I arranged the anthem uh, for four trombones, and uh, recorded it in my in my home in New Orleans, and uh, then I sent it to them, and they loved it, and then we I met with them, the crew, and we shot the uh the video in front of the superdome and it was it was really fun it was a really fun experience wow so there's gonna be four trombones on sunday well no i i recorded uh on top of the on top of the track gotcha okay sorry so not music live. literate here very clear. oh no it's cool <laughs> yeah no i arranged it for for there are four trombone parts in the arrangement gotcha and um i played all i recorded all four of them just because you know uh time and money Nobody can do it like you, Jeffrey. <laughs> I mean, nah, but uh, there's there are amazing musicians in the city and abroad. Um, but yeah, I recorded it in my house and uh, sent it to my mixer, Sam Sherbin, and he mixed it down and sent it to them. And they were like, we love this. 
show it, let's use it. And uh, yeah, we met with the film crew and we knocked it out. It was a really hot day, but we knocked it out. <laughs> when is it not hot out. in New Orleans? Let's just get that clear. <laughs> I was wearing all black too. Yeah, rough. It was, it was rough. Oh. Well, yeah. we're excited to hear that on Sunday. Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining me on the show today and uh, can't wait to hear the product on Sunday. Uh, thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you so much for ha having me. Great conversation with Jeffrey. Excited to have him on the show today. Man, that, that story about his ancestor who performed at Preservation Hall and performed the rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In, marching in just had me dumbfounded. You can, I don't know if you could tell on the audio, but I was absolutely stunned by that story. But happy to have Jeffrey on the show. If you want to follow him on social media, his at on Twitter is at I'm Jeffrey Miller. I am J-E-F-F-E-R-Y Miller. Uh, that is on Twitter. And also you can have an exclusive premiere of his national anthem performance by using the link in our description. Um, so make sure you go see that. All right, let's get into some fantasy football talk with our own Daniel Salerson. Thanks, Caroline. Of course, it's time now to talk about your fantasy lineup for week number three. Should be a busy one on the waiver wire. Lots of injuries that unfortunately happened in week two. And to help us get you set for your fantasy lineup, we welcome in Ben Heisler, of course, as we do every Wednesday as he's a host and analyst for Sports Illustrated Fantasy and Gambling. Ben, unfortunately, we have to talk about the injuries first because that was the common theme in week number two. Is this probably one of the most important waiver wire weeks you've seen in the wild based on everything that happened last week? It feels that way, doesn't it, Daniel? Think about the fact that the consensus number one and number two picks off the board in Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. Uh, Barkley done for the year with the torn ACL that he suffered in the game against Chicago. McCaffrey getting that high ankle sprain on the road to Tampa Bay. Um, and, and then just all sorts of injuries all over the place. You're dealing with Jimmy Garoppolo. The Pretty much the entire 49ers team is hurt. Uh, and the list really goes on and on and on. Cortland Sutton, also a big wide receiver, uh, done for the year for Denver. Uh, and Drew Locke, their quarterback as well. I don't know if it's necessarily the most important waiver wire week that we've seen. I just think it's the most action-packed waiver yeah. wire league. Um, the, the question I think a lot of people will have to try and determine is whether or not the, the replacements, both short-term and long-term, for the stars that are going out, whether or not that's necessarily the right play and whether or not you're spending all of your free agent bidding money uh, all for guys that may not necessarily have as much of an opportunity as say the guys that they're replacing. You know, I, if we're talking about Saquon Barkley, it's going to be a, a running back bag, committee backfield with the New York Giants between Wayne Gallman, Deion Lewis. They just signed Devontae Freeman. Uh, conversely, in Carolina, somebody like Mike Davis might get the bulk of the opportunities. And, and there's even reports that Curtis Samuel might play some running back as well. So it's all about, you know, volume and production. That's the key part when it comes to trying to find the right replacement is who's going to get the most volume and most touches in this offense, not necessarily who's the next man up. All right, so you mentioned Mike Davis. You mentioned the running backs by committee in New York as far as the Giants are concerned. Are those the running backs to really look out for when looking at the waiver wire, or are there some other ones that you may want to look into when trying to fill your lineup this week? I would say Mike Davis probably gets a little bit more priority for me compared to the rest of the New York Giants running backs because we actually saw a consistent level of volume from Davis in week number two. He had eight targets, had eight catches, so he caught all of them uh, for 72 yards. So he was active uh, and very involved uh, over in the rushing offense. Uh, the guy that I probably would make the, the highest priority for, for whatever reason, Joshua Kelly still remains available in about 50% of leagues. He's the backup running back for the uh, LA Chargers, uh, but he's not really playing the role of a 
backup. He's behind Austin Eckler, but Kelly now has seen his uh, snaps and his opportunities in the rushing game go up. He gets goal line carries. He's probably my number one target this week. And then if you go a little bit further down, Jarek McKinnon for the San Francisco 49ers, they have lost both Raheem Mostert for several weeks due to injury. Tevin Coleman's going to miss several weeks as well. Uh, And McKinnon was already an active part of their offense already. Uh, and I know that he's let fantasy owners down the last couple of years uh, after San Francisco signed him to a pretty big deal, but he's back. He's healthy. He's explosive out of the backfield. He can catch passes. He does everything really well in a Kyle Shanahan offense that he's probably another top priority for me. Yeah. As a Georgia Southern alum, I'm all about Jared McKinnon and that train there in San Francisco. So happy you did mention him. You mentioned some wide receivers, Cortland Sutton out. We just heard that Sterling Shepard's going to be out for the, for the year for the Giants. So another blow for them. I'm sure there's some wide receivers on the waiver wire that fans are looking to pick up. Are there some that you're keeping your eye on right now? Absolutely. Uh, You talked about the Cortland Sutton injury. I think Jerry Judy is probably owned in most leagues by now, but he wasn't a consensus top guy at the beginning of the year. He's going to see the bulk of the targets there. So I think Jerry Judy certainly is in play. Uh, Russell Gage continues to be under owned over in Atlanta. So that's another close one in the Saints division. Um, He's a legitimate wide receiver three. And with the state of the Falcons defense right now, they are throwing and they are throwing downfield a ton. Gage has been the recipient of opportunities in the slot with all the coverage directed towards Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Uh, You're dealing with a a playmaker in Hayden Hurst at the tight end spot. So Russell Gage continues to get advantageous matchups. Other guys that I like this week, Keelan Cole of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got 12 targets, two receptions in two games. Michael Pittman is going to see an increased role. He's a rookie out of USC for the Indianapolis Colts with Paris Campbell uh, sideline indefinitely. Uh, And then T Higgins is one that uh, was actually written up by uh, SI's own Dr. Roto. And I really like this call because it's more of a a long-term play, Daniel. He saw 65% of the game snaps, uh, against Cleveland last week. And yeah, I don't know if you saw that Thursday night game between Cleveland and Cincinnati, but but, uh, A.J. Green just looks nowhere near where we're used to seeing A.J. Green look. He had 13 targets, only caught three of them, uh, which is pretty staggering considering, you know, what the the type of receiver he's been over the last several years. So Higgins might be a guy that as he starts to grow and evolve in a very pass-friendly offense, uh, maybe that's someone that could be substantial down the stretch of the season with a favorable schedule for Cincinnati. I want to go back to the Falcons for a second because I'm glad he brought up Russell Gage and I'm glad he brought up Calvin Ridley. Should Julio Jones owners be a little concerned after two weeks because of the spread Matt Ryan is doing on the offensive side or will those points come eventually for Julio? I think those points come eventually. There's just too much downfield urgency from Ryan and the fact that, you know, Julio is always going to be active and involved in this offense. Um, I, I'm not too concerned about it. Ridley right now is getting better matchups. I do wonder at some point if, if corners and then if the number one corner is all of a sudden going to start to shadow Ridley um, based on the volume that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, but Julio still caught, I think eight passes for over 150 yards in week one, maybe a little bit quieter in week two, but Atlanta still put up 39 points. They're going to need to score Daniel to compete in any game, unless all of a sudden their defense has that remarkable turnaround that we saw in the final stretch of last year. But right now they're just off to a brutal start. Maybe they perform a little bit better at home in a must-win game for them against Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears, uh, who are 2-0 coming in. But I'm not concerned about Julio one bit. As far as uh, we go back to the Denver Broncos here, we mentioned Cortland Sutton being out, but also Drew Locke being out as well. I know the Broncos are about to sign or have signed Blake Bortles. I know they have Jeff Driscoll who entered the game for them this week uh, when Locke went out. Is it someone that is worth taking a flyer on? Is it going to be Jeff Driscoll's 
job while Drew Locke's out? Or is there a chance that maybe you should take a flyer on Blake Bortles if you have the depth and, and, and can take a QB if you need one that desperately? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bortles is, I suppose, intriguing because, you know, he had back-to-back seasons as sort of a late-end quarterback one. But, uh, you know, I, I have to give credit to my, my buddy, Brian Johnson, who phrased uh, and, and coined the term Garbortledge time which is a combination of, uh, you know, garbage time and, and Blake Bortles. Uh, that's where a lot of those fantasy stats were being padded when Jacksonville was completely and totally out of the game. Uh, and he was able to go ahead and get some late touchdowns, run for a few yards. Um, it, it's just not a situation that I want to be a part of, uh, to be completely honest. I suppose in a pinch, you could start Driscoll. He will run from time to time. He'll take some shots downfield. Um, but Drew Locke wasn't even sort of a mainstay fantasy quarterback one. He was sort of in that mid-tier quarterback two conversation. So uh, if the starter isn't even a part of that, uh, I don't know if I necessarily want anything to do with the backup quarterbacks in Denver either. Fair enough, fair enough. Before I let you go, big Sunday night football game this weekend for the Saints as they try to bounce back after a tough loss of the Raiders. They'll take on the 2-0 Green Bay Packers. Uh, we saw the absence of Michael Thomas. I know Saints fans are certainly missing him. But you did see a good play from Trey Quan Smith and not a lot of receptions or targets for Emmanuel Sanders. How do you see that wide receiver duo playing out? If Thomas is out again, do you go take a flyer on Trey Quan Smith this week and start him? Yeah, I, I think so. I was really impressed with what I saw from Trey Quan. And we might have talked about this last week that, you know, he's had moments where he could be, you know, that wide receiver one in this offense, but hasn't really had the opportunity to, to live up to it consistently. And I thought he was terrific. Caught five of his seven targets, had 86 yards, averaged just over 17 yards per reception, uh, and showed that explosiveness. I remember there was one play where he made, uh, it might have been Jonathan Abraham. Uh, of the Raiders just completely whiff on him uh, and to be able to get a bunch of yards after the catch. I mean, he's explosive in space and there's a reason why they think so highly of him. Uh, so I do think Traquan Smith is in play as long as Michael Thomas is out. Um, I, I'm still trying to figure out where Emmanuel Sanders really can fit in and fit in with this offense. You have Jared Cook in the middle of the field. Sanders should be able to be as versatile as they come. So it's been a bit surprising that they haven't gotten him as involved as maybe we would expect. Uh, certainly the running game with Kamara looks terrific. That takes away some of those short volume opportunities in the middle of the field. Um, so right now, Emmanuel Sanders is probably, you know, drop him territory, especially in fantasy. But that's not to say that he's not talented enough to come back. But I just don't know what we can reliably get from him week in and week out at this point. Good stuff there, as always, from Ben Heisler. Again, host, analyst for Sports Illustrated, covering fantasy and gambling. Ben, always appreciate the time. Good insight, as always, and we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. All right, Daniel, looking forward to it. All right, Caroline, back to you. Woo, that was a lot of guests to get through, but happy to have everyone on our Wednesday edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. And quickly, a word from our friends at SeatGeek. Just like all of you, SeatGeek can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Saints and sing along to our favorite songs again. They're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to the events in the Big Easy, well, easier. Plus, every ticket purchase on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better if your event is canceled. Guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, let's go. SeatGeek. All right, that'll do it for us today on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Just a, rem a reminder that Fox Sports New Orleans will be re-airing all of the Saints games of the season beginning tonight if you are listening to this on Wednesday, September 3rd. If you're not, Wednesdays going forward, the game will be rebroadcast. So check out that on NewOrleansSaints.com. All right, for Omar Ruiz.
Louise, Jeffrey Miller, Daniel Salerson. Thanks you all to you all for joining us on the show today. And we'll catch back up on Friday.